want to open up your Bibles to Daniel 6, I, I, you probably should. We're not going to read it all, but I'm going to be jumping around. And um, it, it's a great story because we all know it. This is one of those stories that people who don't even go to church know. Um, this is it's one of those stories that sort of everyone is familiar with. And so my hope is tonight is that we can sort of, I don't think I'm going to have any wonderful new insight you've never heard before. My hope is just that you hear something that encourages you. Um, I couldn't think of a clever title, so it's just called Lion's Den. Um, it, it, it may not be anything new, but I want you to think about what this story says. And even though we're familiar with it, and it, especially if you grew up in church, man, I didn't, I, didn't grow up in, I didn't really start going to church until I was around 11 or 12 years old, really going to church all the time. And I can't even tell you how many times I've heard this story. And if you grew up in Sunday school, you heard it like every year in Sunday school with the little flannel graph things and the little, you know, car- cartoon pictures of, of you know, Daniel and lions, and um, I, I mean, I see why it's so popular. You know, it's a great story of faith. There's animals in it, which make it great for children. Um, yet, you ever notice that they skip the whole story of Elisha calling out bears out of the woods in, the, in, in Second Kings? Um, and they don't tell kids that story. Um, that's a great one, too. Ask me about it afterwards if you're curious. It has animals in it, but they don't use it. Um, but what's interesting about this is, is this, is it's not just a story of simple faith. And even if it were a story of simple faith, that any of us who have tried to live the Christian life and do things that we know are right and that God desires of us knows it's, it's, it's very difficult. And this story, to me, is not just a story of faith, but it's a story of, of something I want to shoot for in my life. And, and I'll tell you why. So let me just summarize um, the first bit, in case you haven't read it recently or in case you haven't heard it recently. If you remember from, from recent weeks, there's this new king, right? There was a king na- named Belshazzar, and, and on, on the night Daniel interpreted his dream at the end of the last chapter, uh, Belshazzar dies, and this guy Darius, Darius becomes the new king. And, and he's placed a lot of people in control, and they don't really like Daniel. Uh, and in fact, Daniel is working his way up into a position of great power, as he always has, by hard work, by honesty, using wisdom, all of these things, and they try to find fault with him. And it actually says, hey, we can't find fault with this guy, so we need to find fault with his religion and his God. That's going to be the way we get him. They resolve to get him in trouble for his worship and for his religion. I mean, they actually say, hey, this guy's an outsider. He worships a different God. Let's persecute him for his God he worships. And then in the next section, in verses 6 through 13, they convince this king to make a decree. All the other rulers and leaders convince him to to make a decree that basically says for 30 days, as a celebration of this great King Darius, no one else or no one can worship anyone but him for 30 days. And the reason they did this is because they knew that Daniel worshipped his God still. They knew that Daniel, this, this Hebrew who was taken into exile as a teenager many, many years before, still worshipped his God, still did not worship the Babylonian gods, and refused to bow down to the Babylonian kings. They knew all this. He was still an outsider, and they wanted him gone. And I mentioned how long ago this was. This is the third king Daniel is serving in his lifetime. Many scholars believe he was at least in his 70s, if not his 80s. I mean, think about that. Think about working in a career for your whole life. You've had multiple bosses come in. You've had multiple people try to get you fired. You've had multiple people not just try to get you fired, but try to kill you. 
I, I mean, I think about my life when I'm in my 70s or 80s, and I'm going to be really honest with you, and I hope you don't think less of me. I kind of want life to be easy when I'm that old. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want people, first of all, I definitely don't want people trying to kill me, but I, I just want my life to be a little easier, right? Like, I just want to be a little more comfortable. I just, you know what I really want? This is honest truth. I don't care where I live. I love the beach and the mountains. Um, I, I even love big, you know, I think the desert is beautiful. I think flatlands can be beautiful. I really just want a quiet view with no buildings or cars. That's all I want when I'm old and retired. I, whether it's a mountain lake, whether it's, it's an ocean or up on a hill, I just want a quiet porch or patio in the mornings that faces the sunrise where I can have coffee in the sunshine with a nice view. I'm not asking for a big villa in Tuscany. I'm not asking for, for a beach house. I just want that. Is that so much to ask for? And I read the story in Daniel, and I realize this guy was getting up there in years. And yet here he is, still encountering this stuff. You know, and what's amazing is I think of the human condition, and I don't know where it comes from. Maybe it's just because we've seen other people who have it easy in their 80s, and we just think, or 70s and 80s, and when they retire, and we think we just want that for us. But in the Christian life, the more I get to know people who have lived their life after God, the more I get to know people who have committed their life, it seems to me that those who are faithful often are called to continue to work, are called to continue to work hard, and sometimes even more. Sure, you may have a patio with a view when you're in your 80s. But what's amazing to me is that those who are in that position in life have time, have resources, have life experience and wisdom. And let me suggest that we as Christians, we can desire those things and we can desire retirement and be financially prudent and those are good things. But never see your faith in the same way as that. Church, as we grow in life, our, our, our desire to work for what God is calling us to should only increase. In Daniel, it seems quite clear that even though he was old, even though he was in his third king he was serving, he still had work to do. He still had an example to set. He still had uh, the calling of God to be faithful in a time of trial. And, and it tells us very clearly that, that, that Daniel, in fact, prayed three times a day that he had a window in his house. He would pray privately in his room, but he had a window in his house that faced the direction of Jerusalem where he was from where he was taken as a slave into exile from. And he would pray facing Jerusalem to his God. And these men knew it. Whether it was racial prejudice, whether it was religious persecution, it doesn't really matter. They knew that Daniel would continue to pray. They knew that Daniel would continue to practice that which he did. And so, they had the king sign this decree. And, and, and they know that Daniel will continue to pray, and they know that when they tell him and they call him on it, Daniel will tell the truth. <laughs> Daniel, do you still pray to your God? It's been decreed that no one else can pray. They know he's going to say yes. And in fact, in verse 8, if you look at verse 8, it says that when they signed this decree, there was some sort of ancient law with the Persians and the Medes that said that once they did this, they couldn't undo it. It's in verse 8. And so, verse 13, they know they have him. They know they have him. If you look, let's just look uh, at, at verse 13 and then we'll start reading 
um, from there. It says in verse 13, the king said to Daniel, or then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the degree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. They know they have him. So here we are in the story. And we're going to pick up and we're going to read verses 14 um, to 18. And then we're going to continue reading little sections as we go through it. Uh, so let's just read verses 14 to 18. And remind ourselves what happens. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. And then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. And so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And the king returned to his palace and spent the whole night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. This, there's so much about this passage that bugs me, but, but what's amazing is that the king actually really liked Daniel. The king wanted to help Daniel. But because of maybe the way they worded this contract, or we don't have all the exact details, he, it tells us that he was stuck. You know, and for those of you who are scholars, who like to really study and get behind a lot of the, um, the background and a lot of the archaeology of the Old Testament, this King Darius is really interesting. We actually don't know a lot about him. Um, you know, we have a lot of information on, on Nebuchadnezzar and, and Belshazzar, and then the guy that came after him was a guy named Cyrus. Um, but we actually don't have a ton of information on this guy. And the Babylonian records don't have a lot, which isn't surprising, because if he killed the previous Babylonian king, they wouldn't have anything on him. And, 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 and we don't really know about him. And I wish we knew more, because it seems that he was kind of sympathetic to the God of Israel. He was sympathetic to Daniel. It says that he was sad and upset about this. Um... And so if you're ever curious more about this stuff or you want resources to read about this stuff, let me know. I'd be happy to share it with you. And we have a church library with a lot of good stuff too. But as the narrative tells us, this is the situation he's in. And he says he's basically given no other option than to put Daniel into this lion's den. But Daniel's focus is not on this decree. Daniel's focus is not on this. Daniel's focus is on God. You know, one of the passages I, I always have to remind myself of when I think about these things, and I try to, I don't know if you're like this, I always try to put myself in this position and think, would I really have the guts to stand up for this? You know, what would I do? I always think about that passage, we taught on it over the summer, when they came to Jesus with a coin, and they said, what do we do with our taxes, Jesus? And he said, well, whose face is on it, right? He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God's what is God's. And let me just encourage you also, church, that I hope there never comes a time in this life when our worship is made illegal, <laughs> when, when our gathering like this is, is seen as you know, offensive to a government or to a regime. But let me just encourage you, we never stop giving to God. It is good to obey our government, it is good to pay taxes, it's good to be a law-abiding citizen, but when that intersects with worshiping God and the commands God has given you, never, ever, ever stop giving to God what is His. Because we see in this story something fascinating. Daniel had a friendship with the highest person, right? The king. 
If there was one person who could have stopped this, it would be the king. If there was one uh, official, if there was one person that Daniel could go to and say, hey, you know this is not fair, help me out here, you'd think it would be the king. But even in this situation, whether it be because of legal boundaries, maybe the king just didn't quite love him enough to do it, we don't know. But the king doesn't even save him. The king, the one person who could step in, signs the seal with his royal ring saying, this is my doing. The king is obviously concerned, but without the same foundation of of love for this God of the Israelite people, love for this Hebrew God, he won't step in. Think about that. We can love and be in relationship with this whole world. We can have good news and think all of this world is around to support us and to lift us up, yet only the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ will bind us for eternity to one another. All those other relationships, if they're not founded in the worship of our God, will be broken. They cannot last. They cannot hold. And even here, this king is sympathetic to Daniel, but he does not intervene. Verse 16 drives me crazy. (laughs) May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. King, you could do something. Make another decree. Just do another one that makes the other one void. There has to be some loophole. You are the king. And it's just sort of like, hey, Daniel, I like you, but hey, uh, hands are tied. Hope your God saves you. It drives me nuts. I feel like he's the one person that could have stopped it, but just didn't. And even though it says he suffered, He didn't eat. He fasted that night. He was worried about Daniel all night. The truth is, church, it's very easy. It's very easy to care about spiritual things when it's only affecting us and it's in private. It's easy to love God and say that we care about people when it's in private and it doesn't cost us anything. The king wasn't willing to actually do anything about it. And when I talk about giving to God what is God all the time, we need to be loving God all the time. We need to be worshiping God all the time. And this king liked Daniel, but not enough to do something. This king might have liked the Hebrew God, but not enough to do something. It it may have tore him up a little bit inside at night, and he was worried, oh, I hope I don't lose my friend. I hope I don't lose this wise counselor and this governor. But you know what? I'm not willing to go out on a limb for him. Think about this world and how many people like God, like Jesus, think he's a good God, think Jesus is a neat guy, but not enough to actually do something about it. Are we willing to actually do something about it? I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I've heard people say things, oh, I'm spiritual, but you know, my spiritual life is really private, you know? My faith, I don't really go to church, my faith is just between me and God, I like to keep it private. I don't, I don't like to worship in public. It's so much more intimate when I'm just, just me and God, me and God. It makes no sense. If you read this book, it is a communal book meant to be practiced together, meant to be into worship together. Sure, we have a personal relationship with God, but when it comes down to it, it's going to cost us something. We're going to have to stick our neck out for someone. We're going to have to step out and do something that is not popular. I say this all the time, you know, I use this line a lot with young people or when I'm 
sort of discipling or talking with people, it, I figured this out when I became a Christian, and it's only become more true as I get older. I, I've never been the type to wear my Christianity on my sleeves. You know, I'm not the kind of person who, if I'm talking with someone, says, oh, I got a Bible verse for that, you know? Or if I'm talking with a friend, say, oh, I'm going to pray for you right now. Let's stop right now. Let's pray. You know, like in a grocery store, that's just not me. I have friends like that, by the way, and they're wonderful people. Um, but that's just not me. And I remember becoming a Christian and, and starting to, trying to really be a Christian and, and growing and learning what this was. And I remember trying to not really hide it, but just sort of keep it sort of, you know, sectioned off, kind of, I'm just going to have it here, and then I'm going to have this over here. Here's the thing, church, the world is going to figure you out. <laughs> if you are a Christian, you are going to stand out. If you are a Christian and you claim the name of Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, eventually it's going to come to an impasse where you have to do something that is different than the world expects. Where you have to step out and do something that is super uncomfortable. And I look at this story and I see King Darius and he had all the ability and all the power and he just said, you know what, I'm just going to keep it private. The world will figure us out. And that's okay. Because if we're not relying on these earthly relationships to support us and to care for us, but we're relying on one another and our faith in God to care for us, we will always have each other to lift each other up. So let's look at the end of this story, and let's talk about that. Starting in verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. Clearly distressed, hurried to the lion's den. Verse 20, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions and they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in God. And this is where we stop when we're teaching children this story. But this is a very important part, verse 24. And at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and their children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. I just like to leave that part out in Sunday school, you know. Daniel survives, and it's a miracle. Daniel is saved because of his trust in God, because God saw him innocent, because he had never done anything wrong to Darius, and that God intervened. But as we talked about in, in chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this you know, mirrors that, that chapter with, with them. That God continually throughout Scripture, this is a theme that carries throughout the entire Bible, that God lifts up the lowly, that God lifts up those who are struggling. God lifts up when we come to him in humility. And that those who are prideful and those who are arrogant and those who seek to control the things God has reserved for himself, that God will bring them down. And that's exactly what we see here. Let me just mention also that this idea of communal punishment, the wives and the kids, it's a really hard detail. Um, it, it, it's common in Scripture as well because it was common in the ancient Near East at the time. This was a really long time ago. Um, and, and, and they had a very communal culture. It was not individual like ours. 
And so when there was sin, when there was wrongdoing found in a group or in a family group, the whole family was held accountable. Um, it's really hard for us to understand, and we can talk about this again. It'll come up before the end of the book of Daniel. Um, but I want you to th- look and think about this king. Darius sends these people in after this thing. He waited until Daniel was proven safe, until he could do something that everyone would understand, and it would make his little you know, caring for Daniel or his respect for God safe. And we don't know. I mean, he, at the end, there's a great little text about him, you know, prospering and the living God and all this stuff. You can read it later if you want. We don't have time tonight. But, but he also then goes and, and, and throws these families in the pit and never really gives any sort of repentance, never really gives any sort of major change. You know, we don't see any sort of results you know, it's great because it's about God saving Daniel, and we trust that God can save us, but we're still wanting more as a reader. If you read this story as a narrative, you're sort of wanting more. Like, that's it? Like, okay, these guys got what they were coming to, and they were persecuting Daniel and trying to get him, but what's, what's the deal with this king? And what happens to Daniel after this? Where are the results, right? We want results. We want everything wrapped up. We want things to be done. You know, Daniel, and we think about Daniel, Daniel was old. This was one of his last major trials of his life. He had great faith, great perseverance. But to what end? It doesn't say that, that, that Darius, you know, bows before God and that the whole kingdom of Babylon begins to worship God. What was the point of Daniel's life and all of his hardships and all of his struggle and all of his suffering? If any of you are like me, you've had moments of cynical thoughts or dark, honest thoughts where you're like, what is the point of all this? Nothing ever changes. I try to live a faithful life. I try to do what's right. I try to tell people about God, even if I hide it sometimes. When they ask me, I tell them. And, and I try to read the Bible. I try to pray, and nothing ever changes. There's a lot of areas in life where this affects us. You know, maybe it's for you, it's it's sins that continually come back, these habitual things that drag us down. Whether it's actions or thought life, maybe that's what it is for you. Maybe it's the weight of relationships in this world and trying to have good, healthy relationships, but every time you try, it just seems to not work. Or your family. You know, maybe it's your family where you, you just are constantly at odds with these people that are supposed to love you the most in this world and it weighs you down. Maybe it's just reading the news. For me, that one's really hard. You know, we didn't talk about this last week, but I still just get so sad and angry at the same time. You know how some emotions kind of come up, you want to cry and scream at the same time? When I think about that synagogue shooting that happened in the U.S. about a week and a half ago, I think about that, and it just makes me want to cry and, and then, like, punch someone at the same time. This world is tough. And I look at the life of Daniel, and I think, what if at the end of my life there's nothing to show for it? What if it's just been me standing up to this stuff over and over and over again, and there's no results? Think about your own life. Think about your own faith. You know, Daniel stuck out because of his faith and his refusal to compromise. 
what sticks out about your life? What makes you different than this world? Because we should not fear being different. We should not fear sticking out. You know, in a brief word on suffering, you know, we have to be careful not to avoid it, and, and, and we also don't want to seek it out too much, right? You know, if we are oppressed, we can trust, like the book of Daniel, that God will always lift us up in the end. So we do not have to fear that God will give us exactly what we need. But we also don't want to be obnoxious about our faith, right? Daniel was praying at home, <laughs> and, and they knew about it, and they, got, and they tricked him. Daniel wasn't, like, standing around all these other governors praying and telling them about it. You know, Jesus says, give with your left hand so your right hand doesn't know what it's doing. And if you ever wanted to, uh, how do I do this? How do I just live a faithful life? I picked that passage, the New Testament passage in Roman 10. Um, if you're ever concerned about how to move forward, how to live, how, to, how do I do this? I'm, I'm broken down, I'm sad, I don't know what to do. Just read that passage in Romans again. And then read it again. And then read it over and over and over again. Because getting back to Daniel, as I mentioned, this is hard for me. It's hard for a lot of us because we are results-based people. And, and let me just say that results are actually very good. In work, it's good to be successful and to accomplish goals. In school, it's good to pass tests and, and, and accomplish and get degrees. Uh, results are good in hobbies. We set goals, we set benchmarks uh, for our family. It's good to have some sort of results and some sort of progress on things we're working on. But what about our faith? Sure, we should pray. Read, serve, these are good things. But it's frustrating when it only is us, or when we feel alone, or when people aren't changing around us. And then we look at our own lives and we wonder, am I failing? Am I doing it wrong? <laughs> I mean, I think about this all the time. Maybe it's just because I'm a pastor and I do this a lot, but I just wonder, man, am I actually making a difference? Where are the results? And I, I just think about Daniel and my heart breaks for him that he probably, before going into the lion's den, was so, so sad that this now, this third king, he's done all he can to reveal God's love to these people and they just don't seem to care. Um, a week and a half ago, there's a guy uh, named Eugene Peterson and he, he translated the, the, the copy of the message and he's written a ton of books. Uh, and I love Eugene Peterson. Um, and Eugene Peterson has been like a mentor to me through a lot of his writing. And he passed away about a week and a half ago. And, and like that synagogue shooting, maybe I've just been really emotional lately, I don't know. But it had a huge weight on me. And, and I don't know why, but this is just one of these people I've respected so much since being a pastor. And I was thinking about my life and what the point is, and what if there's no results by the end of our lives? He was asked a couple of years ago, just two years before he died, about his life and ministry and what the point of it all was. And this is what he said. He said, the point of this whole thing is being, it starts with this, being content to be yourself, nobody else. There has been no one like you since the foundation of the world. Face it. You are stuck with yourself. Now, learn about yourself. That is what we are doing. The church at its best lets us be ourselves. It encourages us to be ourselves. Why do I mention this? 
brothers and sisters in Christ, this life is not about results. This life is not about what you will accomplish and a legacy you leave behind. This life is about learning about who God made you to be and going and doing it. And it doesn't matter if you're 80 years old and you're thrown into a pit of lions and no one converts because of your suffering and your faith. What matters is that you know who God called you to be and when he said something in front of you, you got up and you did it. And when they said, you you can't pray anymore, you can't pray to your God anymore, you said, I don't care, I love my God, I'm going to pray for my God. And they say, well, it doesn't matter because you're in Babylon and now you have to bow to this God. And they say, that's fine, throw me in the lion's den because it doesn't matter. This life may not always produce results. But if we live in a way like Daniel, if we live in a way like these servants that have gone through life with no fame and no fortune, but have a confidence in God when we get to the end of our life, we can continue that confidence into our life with God for eternity. And a large part of what we're doing in this room, a large part of what we're doing with praying and reading and singing is about learning who God has made us to be. It's not results or goal-based. It is a spiraling, cyclical, organic process that some days is really great and some days we feel like we're not doing anything right. But don't try to insert your worldly goals into your spiritual life. Seek to love and trust God more in community, in church, in all the things you're doing. Give. Love your enemy. Give to those around you. Give joyfully. Whether or not people even want it. It doesn't matter what the response is. What matters is that God has called you to know you are his son and his daughter. This world is a really scary place. But scripture teaches us that perfect love casts out all fear. And so let me encourage you tonight to seek that very love with your God and with your Savior. That whatever comes, whether you are greatly successful and you have a funeral that just, there's people lined up outside the door. Or there's no one. (laughs) That God has continually in Scripture and will for you lift up those who are lowly, lift up those who suffer, and those who are proud, and those who are arrogant, and those who think they know everything, He will lower them down. And our God has promised us, as his sons and daughters, if we believe in him and place our trust in him, that he will lift us up. And so we can have the confidence to go out and trust that whatever he calls us to, he will be there and he will care for us. Would you please pray with me? Lord, thank you. I thank you for Daniel's example. Lord, I thank you that even though he probably didn't have the success he thought, here we are, hundreds, Lord, thousands of years later, looking to his example. Lord, asking for the Holy Spirit to indwell in us that we would have the same courage in the midst of a sinful world to live for you. Lord, that we would stand out for you, that we would not try to hide our faith, God, but that we would be honest about who you have made us to be as we explore it with one another and with you. Lord, thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, As you consider these things, uh, think about these things, we're going to sing another song or two.